President Trump is in Los Angeles to talk about his self-declared border crisis. Kim Fox, the state's attorney for the state of Illinois, is under really hot fire about her prosecution of the Jussie Smollett case. And Lori Lightfoot had a phone call and a talk with President Donald Trump about the progress for Chicago. It's all that and so much more on episode number 81 of the Jay Doherty Podcast. This is the Jay Doherty Podcast. And now, broadcasting live from downtown Chicago, here's your host, Jay Doherty. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Jay Doherty Podcast. Uh, my name is Jay Doherty. Thank you very much for uh, being here and listening to the Jay Doherty Podcast. This is episode number 81 on uh, Friday, April 5th, 2019. And I'm recording this at 7.08 p.m. There is a lot of stuff to talk about. There's a big, big, big uh, kind of um, thing going on right now here in Chicago. We are uh, looking, we we are just welcoming the Lightfoot administration. And among many things, Lori Lightfoot, uh, who is now the new mayor of Chicago, I covered uh, her election uh, extensively yesterday on the podcast. And I did a whole episode called uh, Lightfoot and Preckwinkle where I talked about specifically their differences uh, in terms of, like, ideologies and policy and things like that. But now that it's confirmed, as of uh, Tuesday, that Lori Lightfoot will indeed be the uh, next mayor of Chicago, it's going to be interesting to see who she picks uh, to be a part of her uh, uh, team. Um, she That is one of her many... Uh, hard tasks to do before she gets into office. Now, of course, the second, the day that she was elected, or the day after, I guess you could say, she was elected, the Wednesday, she met with the incumbent mayor of Chicago, Rahm Emanuel, uh, who we will talk about uh, in relation to the Jussie Smollett case very soon. Um, uh, but she met with uh, members of the current city council and uh, definitely Mayor Rahm Emanuel, and there have been tons, or at least from the reporting that is being received right now, there have been tons of people on the national scope that have been uh, talking to Lori Lightfoot um, and welcoming her basically into politics. She is an outsider. She's never been in politics before, and she actually campaigned on that reality and used it uh, to her advantage. So among the people that reached out to her were the current president, you, uh, the 45th president, Donald Trump, his daughter, uh, Ivanka Trump, who, uh, according to Miss Lightfoot, was a uh, quote-unquote very interesting conversation that she did not expect. Uh, Barack Obama was uh, among the people who she talked to today via the telephone. Uh, Bill Clinton was over there uh, talking to her as well. And uh, the kind of what I like to call the look-gooders or the looker-goods, I don't know. Uh, I think a lot of people um, in the presidential race looked out so it looked good and they would get positive attention for, I mean, you know, obviously there's certain reasons that they want to reach out, you know, if they didn't indeed become the president of the United States, they want to have a decent relationship with the mayor of the city that has the largest crime rates in the country, but, you know, uh, to speak to the first gay black woman who also happens to be a Democrat in the city of Chicago as a presidential, uh, or as, as the mayor, and also as a presidential candidate looking outside, uh, you know, looking inside from the outside is certainly a good look, uh, and among those look-gooders, would I would be considered to probably be just on the cusp of it, probably, you know, it's a really respectable and good idea that House Speaker Nancy Pelosi did reach out to Ms. Lightfoot, and they had a conversation um, about, uh, you know, the progress for Chicago, 
Also, uh, United States Senators Sherrod Brown, Cory Booker, who's running for president, Kirsten Gillibrand, who's running for president, Kamala Harris, who's running for president, Elizabeth Warren, who's running for president, um, all of them uh, reached out and did have a conversation with uh, Miss uh, Lightfoot. And then she also spoke to Representative Joe Kennedy, who I uh, interviewed before, who I've interviewed before, and then also uh, David Cicilline, um, who uh, is a, a representative in the United States House of Representatives. So, very interesting there. Um, so, I, I believe in what I assume to be probably like a two-minute call from President Trump. Miss Lightfoot talked about this, among many things, in her extensive interview with the Chicago Tribune that she gave uh, on April 3rd, 2019, about the uh, what many people are calling her congratulatory uh, call from United States President Donald Trump. I spoke with uh, President Trump very cordial conversation, spoke with uh, President Obama, spoke with uh, Ivanka Trump, which was interesting yeah. um, and a surprise, um, spoke with uh, a number of different um, Democratic uh, presidential contenders who reached out. Um, a number of mayors from across the city have, or across the country have, have reached out. Um, and then, you know, lots of friends and friends and family members from near and far. So I would assume that among those people, uh, among her actions today and yesterday, just a lot of phone calls. I mean, I'm sure, you know, when you become the mayor of the third third largest city of Chicago, and especially when there's never been an African-American woman, everyone wants to be your friend, including some Republicans, including the president. So uh, it's certainly a busy day for her, and I think there's been a lot of communication. Now, uh, what I think would be good and what I think, I mean, I think it's really important to have a good relationship if you're the mayor of any town in any uh, state to have a good relationship with your state government. So uh, I would advise Lori Lightfoot and others uh, in her, you know, on her staff and in the, uh, who will really do the nitty gritty uh, policy work in the coming uh, months to go up to Springfield and uh, meet with the leadership like Mike Madigan, uh, like John Cullerton. And uh, other, and now that we have a, there's a Democrat uh, in in the Illinois uh, gubernatorial seat, it'll certainly be easier for them to uh, get work done together, um, especially with you know progression as a central uh, focal point of her mayoral race. Uh, I think you know to understand that Democrats basically control the major areas of the city or of the state and the city uh, will be, you know, it'll be very interesting to see exactly what they get done and how also if that increases the fluidity of policy actions now that, uh, you know, we recently just had Bruce Rauner, who's a Republican, perhaps the uh, fluidity and the uh, efficiency of the Lightfoot and and uh, Pritzker administration will be able to kind of work together to uh, create similar uh, policies with one another. So that's my take on that. I thought that was actually really smart um, that um, Lori Lightfoot talked to these people who uh, all of them, I believe, just reached out to her to talk to her and congratulate her. Um, and I thought that was a really good move uh, from those people and uh, good for Lori to talk to them as well. So, there needs to be in any in any uh, race in any form of politics in, in an elected office. There needs to be a transition team, and it, the transition team has to be good. You have to have a good transition team, uh, regardless of how big or small your election is. If you are you know winning in uh, you know 
a city that has 400 people uh, or a uh, country that has 350 million people, you have to have a good transition team. And among uh, some that have yet to be named, there are some good people that I actually have met before that are on uh, her team. So Maurice Klassen is going to serve as the chief of staff for the transition team. Um, the transition manager will be Lisa Schneider Fabes, who was uh, on the police accounti- accountability task force, um, and she also worked on, uh, I believe she was an aide at the United States uh, Department of Housing and Urban Development and at Chicago Public Schools. This uh, Ms. Klassen actually worked at uh, the Chicago uh, Police Accountability Task Force alongside Ms. Schneider Fabes, and uh, just to remind everyone, uh, Ms. Leifer was actually the president of that organization who... Um, uh, who, yeah, so she was the the president of that organization, so uh, inherently she does have relationships with at least, uh, a couple of these people, and there are many more uh, who uh, will undoubtedly work with her, not only on her, on her transition team, but also in her administration. Uh, the guy that I've met, the guy that I actually um, uh, talked to uh, recently at the... Um, mayoral debate, the final one on CBS is Raw Joy. He was the running mate for Chris Kennedy, who ran for governor alongside J.B. Pritzker, and uh, I actually entered on uh, Chris Kennedy's campaign, and I was lucky enough to meet Raw Joy uh, recently, and then I've also seen him on the campaign trail with Chris Kennedy and others uh, who ran, who of course, as the lieutenant governor alongside Chris Kennedy. Uh, Sarah Pang is another one who's going to act as a quote-unquote senior advisor, and she actually served on Rahm Emanuel's transition team's uh, according to Crane Chicago Business, and then also Manuel Perez will move from being Lightfoot's administration uh, campaign manager uh, to the transition team's intergar- intergovernmental affairs advisor. Um, this guy knows his stuff about government, and you really have to know, especially when you're an outsider, how government works. And I think. Um, Mr. Perez will kind of act like a, and obviously these are totally different circumstances and totally different parties, but Trump knows nothing about government. I really don't think, if you asked him when he announced the uh, how separation of powers works, I don't think he would know uh, how to do that. I also don't think, you know, what the, and I don't want to get too off topic here, but there are a lot of people on the far, 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 far uh, left that suggest that Donald Trump actually, you know, in this Mueller investigation, he could have potentially led a collusion effort specifically by himself and that the Mueller report didn't even cover that because it was not of relevant information. First of all, the uh, lack of relevant information is not even. Uh, a reality that is certainly relevant. It was supposed to investigate any ties to Russian government or anyone who is Russian in the Trump campaign. And as Trump is the candidate, he is inherently a part of the campaign. He's the leader of the campaign. Uh, so he, and in addition to the fact that I like to use Mr. Ben Shapiro's line that Trump could not collude with his own left foot. He could not do that. He is, you know, incredibly in terms of governmental affairs and probably communication, uh, very, 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 very inexperienced and, in, uh, you know, subsequently stupid. So, uh, that that's my little view on that. Anyway, uh, let's talk about this Perez guy. I think he will act as a like a, a version of Mike Pence in Lightfoot's administration. Obviously, totally different circumstances, totally different backgrounds, and uh, a much larger scale for uh, the president and the national government. But you know, Trump knew nothing about politics and knew nothing about government. Pence, as a governor of a state and a former U.S. congressman, knew many things about uh, government that he could advise Donald Trump on. So, you know. 
Lightfoot is an outsider, and Mr. Perez, who's never, uh, to my knowledge, held public office, but he has held uh, many positions, uh, you know, who uh, in, in many campaigns. For example, uh, United States Representative uh, Jesus or Chewy Garcia, uh, when he ran for Congress in 2018. Um, and then he also worked on his campaign in 2015 when he ran for mayor. I remember his name coming up in the news, and I also remember Chewy Garcia. In fact, I interviewed him for a C-SPAN project that I was working on uh, when he was uh, doing some adv- advocacy work within the city. And then, in addition to other uh, positions in the county government, Mr. Perez uh, helped uh, Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle uh, and was the chief of staff to the Cook County Clerk as well as chief of staff to Chewy Garcia when he was the uh, Cook County Commissioner. So, this guy's very experienced. He would do a great job, and I wish him the best along with all of the other members of his transition team. Uh, transitioning, you know, can either be really easy or really hard, and most of the time it's pretty easy, but it can be pretty hard. So, <laughs> Uh, inherently, I just hope and wish all of them the best because, uh, you know, one of the great things about democracy is the ability to easily transition power, um, you know, and, and obviously that's just a part of the Constitution and everything, but there are certain factors about uh, kind of just the logistical side of the things that can certainly make it easier uh, or harder, so I hope everything goes in the right direction and all of the stars align. Uh, for the transition team, just like Miss Lightfoot's campaign uh, aligned. Now, I want to talk about that because, you know, it was kind of like Barack Obama's campaign. If you look back at the history, Barack Obama was a a very smart, young, African-American guy who uh, was teaching, and all of a sudden, it seemed like he wanted to run for Senate, so he did, and then he uh, won, again, replacing a, pretty much a crazy guy that was kicked out of office, and then up against a pretty much a crazy, uh, unorthodox candidate that he ran against, so he got the Senate seat, and then before his first term was even over, he ran for president as a young African-American person, campaigning on intelligence, he was very, very smart, he knew all the policies, and he was able to advocate uh, on behalf of the Democratic Party in a very strong and secure way, he then won the nomination and went up against John McCain, he, um, won against John McCain, he ran for re-election against Mitt Romney, he won against Mitt Romney, and now he's gone. Uh, he's out of politics as far as we know. So, you look back on that and you kind of think like, wow, that's a pretty quick run from being a teacher, a professor, to being the President of the United States. Um, and many things aligned for him. As I just said, you know, a crazy candidate, a guy who was just out of office, and a young African-American guy. Now, just to be fair, the guy who was actually running against him for the United States Senate in Illinois was African-American, um, uh, but, you know, the, uh, he was, <laughs> if you watch the debates, which I can put, I can, I'll list them on the show notes, he was a little bit unorthodox, and his policy ideas were not really taken seriously. So, all the stars aligned. Similarly, for Lightfoot's campaign, all the stars aligned for her because there was uh, the, you know, when the story broke about uh, the firing of Ed Burke Jr., and if you live in Chicago, you know why that's relevant. But anyway, to just just to shed light a little bit onto the, uh, the just to be uh, brief in my explanation here, Ed Burke was, uh, who is the uh, city council chairman and the and alderman in the 14th Ward. Uh, there was a federal uh, criminal com- complaint sent in about him uh, and, uh, I guess that's all I really need to know. Anyway, he's being investigated by, uh, the FBI for extortion claims and things like that, and, uh, Miss Lightfoot hired, uh, supposedly, 
and when the story broke, it was reviewed as, quote-unquote, a clout hire because she is, you know, quote, close colleagues and works very closely with Ed Burke. So, uh, it inherently, you know, it might be important or a uh, logical move to hire, um, you know, his son, and why wouldn't you? I mean, yeah, over anyone else, Miss um, Lightfoot claims that, you know, he went through all the normal vetting processes, which I'm sure he did, but also, you know, I mean, come on. Uh, <laughs> that's how it works in government, and, and play, pretty much anywhere. I mean, there is a lot of nepotism that goes on within government, and, um, you know, I've seen it firsthand. So, uh, uh, everyone has seen it basically firsthand. I mean, you know, nothing is always fair and straight in terms of hiring people and giving people opportunities. Uh, and I say always pretty strictly because there are a lot of times where it is fair and straight uh, and everything, but I just want, you know, just to be pragmatic about everything, it's it's not always uh, the straightest uh, deal that goes on in terms of hiring people and um, creating a strong political environment for people to work in. Anyway, back to this ideology that, or the idea, not the ideology, that uh, the stars aligned for Miss Lightfoot in her election. And they did, because this hiring of Edberg Jr. thing came out, that was that was a huge deal, uh, you know, that hurt her a lot, and the Lightfoot campaign was very... Uh, heavy on, you know, on, um, just using that as an excuse and making Lori look like a better candidate because she wasn't an insider, she was never involved in the hiring and the nepotism, among many things, she was never involved in the support for a soda tax where she, where Preckwinkle wanted to add, you know, a certain amount of tax dollars to for every ounce of soda that someone buys. That is a tax that has been proven to discriminate towards a certain group of people. That certainly did not help Preckwinkle's campaign, but it also bolstered uh, Lori's campaign, so that helped. Uh, and then also, what else? Um, uh, what am I missing? I had, it, I had my notes here. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I have my notes, I have my notes, I have my notes. I want to find this stuff because it is very relevant. And, um, let me see, where is my notes? I literally, or, sorry, where are my notes? I want to exemplify grammatical correctness here. Here it is. Um, let us see here. So, um, let me take a look here. Oh, yeah, and, uh, the, just generally, sorry, and I don't know why I couldn't think of this off the top of my head. Generally, her career as a politician, she's been in Chicago politics, uh, for 28 years, and before that, she was a teacher. She kind of, you know, like a young, uh, school teacher, uh, and she was been in politics for 28 years, and she has been really just an insider, uh, and, and for some reason, she said that she does not identify as an insider, even though by, like, definitionally, she is a insider. She has been in politics for 28 years. She has been inside the game for 28 years. She has rose to positions as uh, the uh, um, Cook County Board Chairman, or, sorry, Cook County Board President. Um, she has been an alderman for quite some time. I mean, she was elected first in 1991. To say that she is a def, uh, that she is not an insider, that she to refer to her as an outsider relative to Tony Preckwinkle is, by every stretch of the imagination, completely and utterly incorrect. So I don't know why she would say she would identify the supposed mischaracterization of Miss Lightfoot's campaign as she did many times throughout the trail, um, especially when um, Lightfoot asked Tony, um, or no, sorry, when. Uh, a moderator in a certain debate, I don't remember exactly which debate, 
asked um, Tony, what is the biggest mischaracterization that your opponent has made? She said that I'm an insider. I, like, there are so many other things that you could have said that, like, would make you more attractive, but, uh, I don't know, uh, attractive to the voter. I mean, I don't really understand why you would want to say that, but, uh, I don't know. Sometimes people do things that do not, uh, let's just say, gain them as, or, you know, boost them as high as they could have in politics. Uh, and I see that a lot, and I think a lot of people notice it, but I wouldn't know because I don't, I'm not on stages debating people, and I'm sure it's very hard to be, you know, pressed for time and things like that, but, and especially when you don't know the questions, although I think there is a certainly more logical answer that she could have thought of before that because it's kind of a very basic uh, question. Uh, all right, so, anyway, uh, Donald Trump, uh, let's switch over here and switch over to the topics. Uh, I want to talk about Donald Trump. He departed from the South Lawn of the White House to uh, Los Angeles to meet with people and talk about and be patronized as the Lord and Savior by the Border Patrol. He is off to, he was, he just landed in Los Angeles a couple hours ago and um, he's done a lot there so far. It's next on the Jay Doherty Podcast. All right, so this is Trump on the White House lawn uh, when he was about to board Marine One to head off to Andrews Air Force Base to go to Air Force One and then fly to Los Angeles to talk about uh, the border. They want to be where the action is. Uh, I'm heading to the border. We're building a lot of wall. We're going to show you a section. And a lot of things are happening. A lot of very positive things are happening. Well, I personally think uh, the Fed should drop rates. I think they really slowed us down. All right, so There's so no he goes on and he uses his uh, normal talking points, as I always say. Uh, but uh, he talks and, and talks uh, about the border. But today, he actually made a really surprising uh, decision where um, he dropped his... Uh, um, he dropped his uh, nominee to lead ICE, um, saying that he wanted something, someone quote unquote tougher for top immigration enforcement for the top immigration enforcement role. So, according to the Washington Post, Ronald Vitel- Vitelio or no, sorry, Vitello, a 30-year-old veteran for the United States Border Patrol and currently the top official at uh, United States Immigration and Customs Enforcement, would have been Trump's first Senate-confirmed director of ICE, an agency with a deportation and detention role that is central to the president's uh, promises to crack down on illegal immigration. So he sounds like a really good guy. He's experienced. He knows the people on the ground who are protecting uh, the border. And uh, he his idea his idea was uh, that you know when when this guy testified, which actually was on November fifteenth, twenty eighteen, um, uh, that he would be he would make a great uh, person to lead uh, ICE, which is of course Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Now. Um, it, it, he, Trump refers to him as Ron. He said that Ron's a good man, and that's what happened. Uh, well, that's what he said uh, when he left for that trip uh, that I was just playing for you. On the same, in a couple minutes later, he talked about how great uh, Mr. Ron Vitello is. But then he also says, um, "We're going in a tougher direction. We want to go in a tougher direction." So. I don't know what the, exactly that means. There has not been direct ideologies presented by Mr. Vitello uh, that would suge- at least publicly that would suggest that he is not as tough as Trump would like to be. But apparently, he wants to go in a quote unquote tougher direction. Therefore, he will basically just discard of his existence, um, and that's what he's done. So, 
I don't really think there's much more to say about that, although to point out that, uh, according to this Washington Post article, um, that, you know, in the past, Vitello has advocated for the president's policies, but he has been relatively restrained in public statements about enforcement matters and does not make bombastic statements. Vitello could not be reached for a comment, but a senior administration official who spoke to him said Vitello was blindsided by Trump's uh, decision to withdraw his nomination. I would be, too. We never heard about this guy. He was never in the news. He was never talked about by President Trump. And just to pull him all of a sudden when you're about to go to a trip to the border is kind of crazy. And he say, and you know, the reason he says that, that he did this is because he wants to go in a tougher direction. And he does. He actually took some action today saying that our country is full and um, that, you know, we can't take you. That's what his quote was. Uh, two immigrants, he said, we can't take you. Our country is full. Um so, uh, this, is, this is his exact quote. He says, in a roundtable uh, with individuals from uh, ICE, from Border Patrol, and other uh, you know, uh, systems of uh, immigration and everything um, that protect the border, he says, quote, The system is full. We can't take you anymore. Whether it's asylum, whether it's anything you want, it's illegal immigration. Can't take you anymore. Can't take you. Our country is full. Can't take you anymore. I'm sorry. So turn around. That's the way it is. Wow. Okay. So he says that um, uh, the there will be 400 miles of a border wall that will be completed in the next uh, two years. And um, I don't know if that's physically possible. I certainly don't think it will be possible. But he uh, basically has told probably 50 lies today. So I don't know why this would be any other... Uh, you know, surprising addition. Oh, actually, one of those lies was pretty funny. I don't really, I mean, it's really irrelevant, but just to give you a fun fact of the day, he said his father on multiple occasions was born in Germany when he was born in Bronx, New York, according to um, hundreds, or uh, according to, sorry, not hundreds, uh, many public documents, including his birth certificate. He was born in New York, and he uh, he is of German descent, but he was not in uh, born in Germany, uh, and he was not even born in Europe. He was born in New York, and I don't know why he would purposely um, say that he was born in Germany when I would think by the you know 71 or 72 or whatever how old he is uh, you would know where your father was born but uh, whatever anyway um, Trump said among many things in this uh, roundtable with the border officials he says I see some of our biggest opponents over the last two days they've said that it's really an emergency they can't believe what's happening Part of it is because of the fact that the country is doing so well. Part of it is a scam. People want to come in. They shouldn't be coming in. They shouldn't be coming in. So it's a lot of like uh, fourth grade level sentences. So um, let's just say here. Uh, let's just take this as an example. Um, so this sentence is five words. Part of it is a scam. Uh, people want to come in. They shouldn't be coming in. They shouldn't be coming in. That was literally his quote. And yeah, I mean that appeals to a certain group of people that have been left out, actually millions of people in America who have been left out. When he talks like this, this is how he won the campaign. Uh, there was a, actually a study done by, I believe it was Forbes, that analyzed the level of uh, reading uh, levels that different candidates presented. Some people, like Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton, they were at like ninth and 11th grade reading levels, and Trump and uh, Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio, they were at 3rd and 4th grade levels, and they, like, led... In poll numbers, financial contributions, because they just talk simply in a way that every American can understand. And the, I mean, I don't know. I don't think that's the best way to run a campaign. I also think it reflects poorly on the education system in America. But 
that's the reality that we live in. So, um, that's that's what Trump, you know, says uh, about this. That I think it's really a bad message that we can't take your country as full. And you know, as I've always said, I think it's really unimportant. I think his his rhetoric is very unimportant. I think what you have to look at is what he does. Um, so really, all he's done today so far, at least from what we know, is just paid a visit to the U.S. Mexico border. Um, uh, you know, after a basically a week, if not more, of comments saying that he would shut down the border, even though he didn't. Um, so I don't really understand why he would uh, talk about that. It's really kind of annoying, but um, uh, yeah, I, th- that seems to be the reality that is existing right now. The, uh, the other thing they did was pretty strange, and I don't, I have no idea why he would even do this. I mean, his the purpose of his visit, according to the White House, was to analyze the border and the issues at it. Uh, where, you know, the tough spots are, according to the White House, where the, you know, where it's really the hardest part uh, of the border, and uh, he went out of, uh, basically out of context, and out of the, his original trip, he said uh, he attacked politicians in California about the wildfires and how they complained too much about them. Well, that's really, really stupid. So anyway, uh, this is what he says. California is always the first one to comp- complain, and I don't m- mean to be uh, mean to the people of California. They're fantastic. I'm talking about the politicians in California. They complain, uh, and, um, he goes on to say some pretty bad things about Democrats in California. Now, I was saying that he has some inherent bias. So, first of all, the, uh, senators in California, um, uh, that he is talking about are very, very, well, okay, so, first of all, Nancy Pelosi, who is the Speaker of the House, uh, who is a Democrat, of course, he, uh, she leads the Senate, or at least, sorry, not the Senate, the House of Representatives, um, and, uh, clearly, <laughs> Clearly, 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 and he hates her as an existence. Um, but also, um, I believe it is, and I don't want to get this wrong. Um, let me see here. Um, I believe it's, let's see, Kirsten Gillibrand. No, 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 not Kirsten Gillibrand, sorry. She's from New York. Kamala Harris um, is one of the senators who's running for president, who is leading in all the polls right now. So he says, you know, uh, first of all, Kamala Harris. Everyone, er, everyone in the Republican Party, including him, hates her because she's a like a legitimate threat to his presidency, or at least the continuation of his presidency past the year 2021. And then also Dianne Feinstein, who's been in Congress since 1992 and has always been pretty radically left. Uh, actually, that's not true. I mean, she's not radically left, but she's pretty far left, and Trump hates the far left people. Um, in addition to the fact that a representative from California, and he used the term politicians, uh, so you know when he res- when he uses the term politicians, he basically means anyone that represents people of California in local or national government. Of course, he attacks Kamala Harris, Nancy Pelosi, and among those other people are the person he hates the most, along with all his family and all of his uh, people that he talks to is one Mr. Representative Adam Schiff, who is a representative from California. And he, of course, is the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee in the House of Representatives, who has led basically the probe and all of the media news and media publications about, uh, about, um, you know, the Mueller report, he was the one that always talked about it and criticized Trump. Uh, he was in the State of the Union when when Trump, uh, you know, attacked uh, the Mueller investigation, saying that it was a scam and, you know, it's a ridiculous partisan investigation. So, 
uh, that that's what Mr. Schiff basically, and, and then you know, the, well, the funny thing is, and I don't want to get too off topic here, but uh, at at the time that d- debate or that uh, address occurred, uh, the camera panned over to Adam Schiff, who was just kind of smirking at his comment, and then the next day, instead of kind of like verbally uh, addressing President Trump at the time, he he basically started fighting and demanding for his uh, business papers. Uh, Trump claimed those were irrelevant, but, uh, you know, uh, he got all of his uh, financials over there, so he basically, instead of verbally attacking him like the left frequently does, he actually took some concrete action, so very, very interesting there. Um... We're just over 30 minutes on the podcast right now. I want to take a quick break to thank our uh, incredible affiliates and sponsors for this episode. They are Blueberry. They do the best podcast hosting in the world. And if you want to get your podcast affiliated or hosted on their platform, all you have to do is use the code J-A-Y-D-O-H-E-R-T-Y at checkout at blueberry.com and you will get a month free with that code and also be able to use the best data management service for podcast hosting affiliation and distribution. Please go go ahead over and uh, do that at blubrry.com. Use the code JDoherty or simply go to jay-doherty.com slash blueberry and you'll be able to start your month free trial. Let's move on to the Jussie Smollett case, the case that we have been covering here for so long and has been very evident in local, national, and international news in the country. All right, so this thing, all right, so so Jesse Smollett, obviously, big name in the news. No one heard about him, at least in my world, <laughs> uh, before he was, uh, you know, he staged this hate crime on him. Um, but the real story here is Kim Fox. Kim Fox is the state's attorney, um, and she wrote a, a commentary in or what the Tribune, the Chicago Tribune, is calling a commentary in the Tribune. Um, on March 29th, she said, let's talk about the Jussie Smollett case. Oh, what a great opening sentence. I cannot wait. She says that falsely reporting any crime itself is a crime, which it is. So why did all the charges get dropped, Miss Fox? I really have a hard time understanding that. 16 felony counts were charged on him, and all of them were dropped. She opens uh, in, in, this, in the third paragraph saying that falsely reporting any crime is, itself is a crime, and obviously, that gives the people, you know, why, 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 why did, the, like, why were these dropped if, if, if itself is a crime? Anyway, uh, she says falsely reporting a hate crime is so much worse, and I condemn in the strongest way possible, uh, a possible possible way anyone who does that. Falsely reporting a hate crime causes immeasurable harm to the victims of actual crimes, whether because they are less likely to be believed or worse because they are afraid to report their crimes in the first place for fear of not being believed. So why isn't Smollett in prison, or at least on trial? That is what she writes, and that is the question that everyone has uh, in their mind. She says there are two different answers to that. Both are equally important. She says, first, the law. Of course, the law. I mean, (laughs) he broke the law. It was very evident that that he broke the law, and uh, I don't really understand why he's not in these, you know, in front of a jury and in prison. Anyway, she says in this article that there were specific aspects of the evidence and testimony presented to the office that would have made securing a conviction against uh, Mr. Smollett uncertain. In determining whether or not to pursue charges, prosecutors are required to balance the severity of the crime uh, against the likelihood of securing a conviction. For a variety of reasons, including public statements made about the evidence in this case, my office believed the likelihood of securing a conviction was not certain. Okay. 
certain. That was the word she used. Securing a conviction was not certain. And she uses the word likelihood. Okay, so that, that is a terrible, terrible, terrible excuse. And to be honest, it's probably the best one she could have come up with. So congratulations, Miss Fox. And uh, perhaps we can get a uh, nice little uh, clapping sound effect here. Yes, thank you, Miss Miss Fox. Thank you, thank you so much, Miss Fox. Uh, but uh, anyway, and that was supposed to be overly obnoxious and you know, kind of like a meme to to do those uh, clapping sounds there. But really, I don't understand uh, why why in the world <laughs> she makes this excuse. I mean, she should have even if she didn't want the charges to exist, she could have pursued it. Uh, and then you know, with the ulterior motive of not actually wanting these charges to, uh, be, you know, prosecuted against Smollett, but anyway, she says, and I'm gonna say this again, my office believed the likelihood of securing a conviction was not certain, okay, well, that is really stupid, so, let's just say, uh, someone walks down the street and, uh, shoots someone in the head, now, that person is clearly, clearly, clearly a criminal, but, if for some reason, the skewed minds of the jury, uh, say that, that person is not a criminal, and they should not face criminal charges because of reasons X, Y, Z. That is pretty much equally as unlikely of securing a conviction. So I don't really understand why she would. I mean, okay, first of all, like if you're uncertain, the the, the principle of law. I, I, sorry, there's so many angry thoughts coming to my mind about why she would even write this. But anyway, the principle of law is based on the idea of uh, uncertainty. The justice system as an ideology in America is based on uncertainty. Investigations are based on uncertainty, especially when they're ten million dollars that the city spends for literally no reason because this guy is a star that staged a hate crime on himself. So why in the world would Miss Fox uh, say that it's uncertain that he would have secured a conviction? Uh, like that's kind of like Donald Jr. yesterday saying that um, uh, you know you want to see the tax returns of a billionaire that became a politician. Why, why don't you want to see the tax returns of the politicians who became millionaires? Well, I want to see both. It's like, I, <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you, for some reason, have the idea in your mind that something is not certain, well, wouldn't you want to prove whether or not it was or was not certain and go with the charges? Why would you drop 16 felonies for no apparent reason after a document was sealed from the public? It doesn't make any sense. And, you know, what's funny is she says... Uh, securing a conviction was not certain, even when, you know, 16 felony charges were closed uh, in, in a five-minute hearing, all of the uh, documents were sealed. She continues in her next paragraph by saying, in the interest of full transparency, I would prefer these records be made public. However, in this case, Illinois law allows defendants in certain circumstances to request that public records remain sealed. Smollett chose to pursue that avenue, and so my office is barred from releasing those records without his approval. That I understand. That is the law, but he broke it, and so I don't really understand why he still has that right, but that is the law, and we, as citizens of this great nation, uh, you know, agree to uphold and protect that law. I'm not a community police. I'm just a citizen. <laughs> uh, anyway, um... So she goes on to address the reality that these were felonies. They weren't just crimes. They were felonies and they, that he actually lied to the police. Uh, so she says, Another key factor is that the crime here was a Class 4 felony, the least serious category, which also covers things like falsely pulling a fire alarm uh, in school and draft uh, mutilation. So, I think that is a stupid, stupid, stupid excuse. Maybe even more stupid than her 
um, uncertainty of securing a conviction. She says that um, a class four felony is equivalent to pulling a fire a fire alarm in school. Okay, Smollett did not pull a fire alarm in a school. Uh, for no reason. Uh, Smollett uh, staged a hate crime elaborately that resulted in a $10 million investigation uh, into uh, Chicago police, into, into uh, how this could have happened in resolving it to make the city look good, and then now they're spending even million, millions of more taxpayer dollars investigating how Ms. Fox and her team handled this situation. So this is no pulling a fire alarm at a school, saying that this is a... I mean, come on. Like, that is a really, really... Really, really, really stupid. Actually, you know, I, I would, I would say in full confidence that this is more stupid than arguing that uh, the uncertainty of securing conviction uh, argument here. I mean, come on, like seriously, you're gonna say that uh, his crime is equivalent, or at least falls in the same felony category as pulling a fire alarm at a school? No, this this guy like literally affected hundreds of thousands of people that are victims of actual hate crimes and then also simultaneously shed lights on the on the terribleness or the the supposed terror like terribleness of Chicago. I mean, it, it it's a whitewash of justice. I do agree with Mayor Rahm Emanuel who said that in a press conference alongside Superintendent Eddie Johnson who seemed to concur. Um among other things, the Chicago uh police as uh, the fraternity and, and the, the, the joint kind of collective approach to Miss Fox's existence is that she should be gone. Uh, she was just re-elected, though, so she has another three years in, in, in her current position as state's attorney, um, but there are tons of people calling her, for her publicly on the police board to, uh, for her resignation. I don't know what's going to happen. I really hope she's gone because the way she handled this uh, is terrible. Now, what is the problem to, or what is this, the solution to her um, wrong or to her terrible way of handling this? Well, uh, there are many, uh, and I think there are really two that she should consider pursuing. One of which she already has. Uh, the first one: welcome an FBI investigation, welcome an, an external opinion on how they actually handled the the case, and allow them to look at these sealed documents uh, and the court hearings. Uh, because it really doesn't make any sense. The first hearing with um, Smollett about this hate crime and the first kind of uh, presence of evidence was hours long. It was a very long investigation, uh, you know, uh, in general. But concerning him, it was uh, a good portion of that time, uh, you know, in the investigation was concerning, you know, interviewing, interviewing him personally and interacting with him personally. So... I fail to understand uh, why, you know, like, like why these documents should be, uh, you know, should not be distributed to the federal, uh, you know, uh, sorry, it's been a long day, <laughs> to the federal authorities who are um, supposedly being welcomed by Ms. Fox, you know, if she's gonna, of course, it's illegal to publicly distribute these documents, but... If the FBI, if she welcomes an FBI investigation and agrees to cooperate with anything they uh, should or want to do, or should do or want to do, she should uh, willingly do that, and I think she will. So, uh, that that's what I understand. Um, she also says, um, our community is safer in every sense of the word when murderers and rapists are locked away. I agree, I agree, but that is not a complete statement. That is not a complete statement whatsoever. There are people who stab people. There are people who, uh, you know, uh, can, uh, commit 
a plethora of other crimes. Um, there, I mean, it is ridiculous when she says that it's better if this, if, if murderers and rapists are locked up. Yes, of course, that's great, and all murderers and rapists should be locked up. But you don't think falsely staging a hate crime and committing 16 felonies deserves a prison sentence? I think that's fundamentally flawed and also uh, begins me to have the question of whether or not you're actually qualified to be a state's attorney. Um, so, yeah. Very interesting. The other interesting thing, and this is more of a irrelevant, more irrelevant now that the res- the, the results are out. But this heavily, her existence heavily affected the mayoral reputation, uh, mayoral election. The reputation of her was largely built upon uh, by Tony Preckwinkle, and they were kind of um, symbiotic with the, within each other. They both depended on each other uh, heavily. Uh, pr- uh, Preckwinkle kind of made Fox's career, and she can't become disloyal because Preckwinkle, um, uh, or but because Fox has helped Preckwinkle in so many other ways to pay her back for her help and helping her start out. So very, 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 very interesting there. And um, I think you know, to be honest, I think the fraternal order of police are kind of uh, correct. Kevin Graham is, uh, and some other 30 uh, suburban police leaders took it a step further when at a news conference uh, they said that Kim Fox should resign immediately from her elected office. Mr. Graham said, quote, People standing around me can give you countless examples of how Ms. Fox's lack of prosecution has cost our members and police officers uh, an enormous amount of problems. Yes, that is very, very, very true. You know, if if police are out there literally risking their lives every day to protect and uphold the law and, you know, take measures necessary to do, um, to do just that, they're going to be locking up people. They're going, or not, you know, I mean, obviously they don't have the, uh, the, the authority to just literally throw people in jail, but they have the authority to arrest them. They have the authority to put them in handcuffs and they're, if they're risking their lives to do that and then they don't go to prison because they, uh, you know, are some famous celebrity. I mean, that is a joke. That is not justice. That is a quote unquote whitewash of justice. I think that is the epitome of the opposite of justice. So, I understand where their frustrations lie, and um, I would certainly uh, concur with that. Now, this very widespread and um, uh, very uh, apparent uh, kind of, I don't know what you would say, publicity, this disclosure of the statement nationally, uh, of course, kind of forced a response from Ms. Fox. And um, Ms. Fox says, I was elected by the people of Cook County to pursue community safety, prevent harm, and uphold the values of fairness and equal justice. All three of those things you failed to do. Uh, in addition to the fact that she said this, she said, I am proud of my record in doing that, and I plan to do so through the end of my term, and if the people so will it, into the future. So first of all, uh, one good thing, one bad thing. All, all of what she said, she she did not uphold the value, um, the values of justice. Community safety is, r- I mean, not even relevant here in the physical term, uh, but by the physical definition. But she did not pr- pursue community safety when she let a guy who's on TV making millions of dollars with 16 felony uh, counts, uh, you know, doing just get get off scot free. I mean, that's, I mean, you realize how stupid that is. Also, she said to prevent harm. Are you're preventing harm? By letting a guy scot free on sixteen charges of felonies, and w- when they falsely stage a hate crime, uh, no. But you know, centrally though, she certainly did not uphold the values of fairness and equal justice. So 
uh, you know, the, and the good thing, I said there's one bad thing, one good thing. The good thing about this is that she, you know, a lot of politicians will say, oh, well, I made a mistake with this, and I'm going to rescind my decision. No, she actually stuck with it, stuck with it, so I give her credit for doing that. I don't know why the heck she did it. I really cannot wait to see what the FBI says about her, uh, you know, supposed lack of doing the right thing. I don't know what it will say, but I cannot wait until it happens and until it comes out. And on that note, I will be leaving you with that. It is the Jay Doherty Podcast, episode number 81, and we are at the 47 minutes and 50 seconds. Thank you so much for listening to the show. I'm going to end it exactly at 48 minutes. Go ahead and use that code, B-L-U-B-R-R-Y, at checkout. I'll see you tomorrow for an episode of the Jay Doherty Podcast. Bye.